Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm so excited to have you here for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tim Sawhook, and I am so excited to be here today. We are in Season 3, Episode 3, and we have yet another powerful conversation that will leave you full of inspiration, hope, and maybe give you a few ideas on how to really make change in your life. As always, if you are enjoying the show or you're just new to the show, I would love if you could go to iTunes and leave a written rating and review, and what this does, it helps it to get in front of other people. It's not about, hey, Tim did a great job. It's not about that. It's about the people who take their time, who are vulnerable, who come on the show and share their story and share their vulnerability. And I really want that to be pushed in front of more people. So if you find it in your heart to do so, you please leave that written review on iTunes. It really goes a long way in getting that show out there in front of more and more people. But before we get into the show today, here is a message from our sponsor, Exclusive Travel Partners. Are you ready to pack your bags and get away? Let Exclusive Travel Partners help you plan the perfect vacation. From all-inclusives on the beach to your own European vacation or taking the family to Disney World, we are here to match the perfect vacation to your needs and budget. And best of all, our service is always free. Contact us at ExclusiveTravelPartners.com. Mention code unwritten for a $25 travel credit to use on your next vacation with us. At Exclusive Travel Partners, you are always the VIP. Well, like I promised at the beginning of the show, we have yet another powerful conversation, and I'm excited to bring that to you now. Here is my conversation with Megan Limpke. I'd love to welcome Megan to the show today. Megan, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I hope everyone's happy and healthy. Everybody is happy and healthy, thankfully. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I know that you have a very powerful story, and I don't want anybody to hold back any further. We want to get right into it. So tell me a little bit before your story starts to develop. What was like growing up? What were you into? What was your life like? Well, um, I'm actually from New York originally. I'm now here in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing childhood, really like just truly blessed going on all the fun family vacations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were like, like the movies, the all American family and like two boys, two girls. It was, it was perfect. We were all in sports, dance, cheer, um, you know, the accelerated sports. So we were all kind of like ahead of the game and it was just a lot of fun to grow up where I did. And I'm really, I really miss it. I haven't been there in a while. So uh. you got to get back. You got to get back to I this know. time, <laughs> especially I know, right now. I know. Yeah. If you're allowed to travel, if you're allowed to go there. True. So talk about uh, your parents. What was it like with them? Good, good role models for you. Good relationship models for you. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, I think everyone looks up to their parents as kids for like the longest time they're, you know, their first love is their dad. Their mom is like the the biggest supporter in their life. And mm-hmm. she's always there to kiss the boo-boos and everything about my family 
even still wonderful, but you know, some families just aren't meant to last and Mm -hmm. we're all still a family, but unfortunately in around 2001, my parents divorced and I never thought that that was going to happen, but it was like life changing and just Mm. everything kind of shattered everything that I thought was the idea of a family, the structure, the stability, it was Mm -hmm. gone. And with all that, like I, I lost a part of myself. And even in that, I was about 16. Mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't want that for my family, for my children, for my husband, even the future husband. And it just, it, it, it really painted a picture for my future. Right. And in so many ways of of dealing things, relationships, my self-worth, it was, it was just crazy. Cause you think as a kid, like, why aren't we good enough for you guys to stay together? But you have to, and, but as a kid, you don't know like how, how to categorize it. This isn't about you. Mm -hmm. So, but even as a young teen, that's hard. It's impressionable. You're impressionable. Everything is new in your life relationships are new and you're starting you know to find love for the first time and you don't exactly Mm -hmm. have the right idea of it anymore so you know going forward with that i again my worth was always a question i had for myself and i kind of would have these relationships that i was just really putting up with crap, being treated like crap and, you know, letting Mm -hmm. boyfriends cheat on me. And I didn't understand why, like, why wasn't I good enough? I'm good to you. So on and so forth. Right. But I didn't understand that, you know, even in friends in high school would say like, you just need to be by yourself. And you're like, yeah, okay. (laughs) It's not, it's, it's not me. But inside I was like, what is it about me? So, you know, going up in high school, 16, 17, this happened you kind of go through the whole like freshman hazing thing. And, you know, that was a fun experience. That was kind of that fun experience is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. That's what I turned to during all this like hard time. Cause it was a place of like, let it go. Mm-hmm. So when things were hard at home, I went out with friends. Mm-hmm. I got away from it in any way that I could. Right. Sure. So yeah. And unfortunately even in some cases it, it, it put a divide in family and in relationships and family. So for a while, um, it was tough for me and my mom. I didn't mm-hmm. understand why this was so hard on her. And, and, um, unfortunately that kind of put a, a, a rift between us. Right. So I went and live with, I went and live with my dad for a while. And the structure there was, um, I had a curfew I had mm-hmm. all those things. So partying wasn't exactly as easy, but you know, it was kind of like my, my folks went out. So I was like, well, come over to my house. Let's have a good time. And then even as the years passed and friends went to college and that kind of lifestyle still stuck with me right. and they, w- they would go away and I would you know, I'd hang out and I'd have my own glass of wine, but I didn't see that as anything different. It was a social setting. It was, you know, my parents would have a cocktail or two at home, but mm-hmm. I didn't think anything wrong with it. But I was creating and developing these coping mechanisms of let it go. It was a bad day, have a cocktail, 
at a very young age. Yeah, let me ask you a question about that because you talked about and you kind of glazed over it just a little bit is that, you know, when they first got divorced, you know, you were kind of shattered because, you know, you don't know the dynamics now that you've been married for a while. You don't know the dynamics of a marriage, right? The things that happen that people don't see, children don't see. So you think, why would everything be affected? You know, why, why can't you just love us and stay together, right? But there's right, right. so much more to that that we never see growing up with our families. Um, yeah. But you said that you it hurt you so bad that you started needed coping. You talked about hazing. What did you do early on to cope with all of that stuff? Are you talking about you dove right into alcohol? Because you talked about the hazing a little bit through high school. Well, I think that was kind of like that was my first interaction with it. It was a rite of passage. You know what I mean? So sure. it, that was fun. That was to me. That was fun. That was like everything's fine there. You kind of put everything else aside when you're out with your friends, when you're out at parties. So mm-hmm. why, why not try to keep that going all the time? Why not try to have that fun instead of just letting everything else that was hard get in the way of your day or get in the way right. of your feelings? But I didn't know that I was actually trying to cover things up with like that social aspect of it. Right. So, Did it kind of numb you from the stuff that you were – your mind was racing from and the pain and the kind of a feeling that maybe you have failed your parents during that time. That's why they got divorced. No, I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was numbing anything at the time. It just seemed like an outlet, which Mm -hmm. is kind of crazy to think about and using at such a young age. But um, I didn't think because I was drinking was, it was my parents. It was because, I didn't, you know, they, there was so little knowledge to their divorce that I was like, you're so unhappy. I can't be around you. I'm just going to go out with friends. Don't just leave me alone. And you know, that that's tough. It's just tough to be around. And it's, and again, it's just another one of those things that, like you said, the dynamic, they don't let into anything and you see people unhappy and you're like, yo, you're killing my vibe. I'm going to go out with friends. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, cause I, I wondered about that when you talked about the hazing, just so people understood that, you know, maybe using it as numbing but didn't realize at the time because it just seemed like fun, you know, you associated yeah. fun with drinking and drinking with fun, and why wouldn't you want to have that same feeling all the time? Yeah, especially when the vibe at home was so so um, tough and just hard to be around. So it was like, I just don't want to be here. Like, I don't – and w- that's the first thing that people do with, like, alcohol. It's like, I can't hang. I can't do it this mm-hmm. right now i i i'd rather just sit relax and be mentally someplace else but it all comes back so you know this kind of carried on this lifestyle for for a long time like even my friends going away to college i ended up staying at home and they were all gone so again that social setting of like me staying at home and having a cocktail or two didn't seem like a bad thing but like when a bad day hit and you know i was using alcohol to kind of numb that bad day right did did I know it at the time absolutely not I had no no idea what I was doing was creating such a spiral effect on my way of dealing with things um so and even then I I mean I did all the things I had a job I was trying to go to school at the time Mm -hmm. so because that's what you see that's what you learn you know what I mean? Right. Like everyone around you is like going to school, has a job and still having a good time. But we also come from that generation too, where our parents are always like, everything's fine. I'm fine. 
brush yeah. underneath the rug. So mm-hmm. I only let people see what I wanted them to see. So that was just, that was the other thing too, is when you start to hide it too, mm-hmm. is that, is that exactly the healthiest thing? Probably not. And um, I think at that time, not only are you you're hiding it from everybody else, but you're hiding it from yourself, right? Because you're, there's no yeah. way you're coming to the realization that you're struggling and that you're coping with these different things. You know, things aren't great for you every single day and you're hiding it from others, but you're really not even close to being honest with yourself at that time. Or dealing with it. Deep down, I knew I had like a sense of worth because I was in a really bad relationship and I was able to walk away with that, which took a lot of strength. But I mean, it was, my worth was still hard and even hiding things like that, mm-hmm. you kind of you kind of struggle with that 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 realism of like God, I can't believe I'm like lying to people about drinking. What is the deal? Like, why mm-hmm. do I have to lie about this? And I don't know. And just hiding hiding, it's just it was it's bizarre to look back on and think that I thought it was fine. Right. Oh so, no. So yeah. So it's just crazy to think. Mm-hmm. that how early on you can start lying things and still function and go to work and be, I don't know. It, it blew my mind when I was like during this whole time, it's been a huge reflection of everything that I've put myself through and right. put others through. So, um, yeah, I, it was just an unhealthy way of starting to deal with things. And, so anyway, history repeats itself. I, like I said, I was mm-hmm. able to walk away some, from some relationships knowing that I did have a sense of worth. I just didn't know how to, you know, light my own fire and, right. and, and treat myself with the, that type of deserving love that I was, was really just hiding away. Yeah, that respect so, for yourself, right? Yeah. And so finally, you know, I got some time to myself after I broke off that engagement and, you know, history repeated itself. And I found another relationship that was wonderful. And it, the funny thing is, is I always, I kind of looked to relationships that I felt like two halves were going to make a whole. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, Oh, your family's divorced. My family's divorced. Well, we're going to prove that wrong. Right. And I was trying to heal something within myself through mm-hmm. a relationship that wasn't going to actually give me what I needed to heal. So anyway, I, I was with this person. I ended up moving to Virginia and, Mm -hmm. and again, it didn't work. And then a whole new level of anxiety and drinking started to happen because I was heartbroken. I, I didn't know I moved you know, like Mm -hmm. eight hours away from everyone I knew. And that was it. So, I mean, I, I turned to alcohol. That was the hardest I think I've ever turned to alcohol. And, um, I remember that day as clear as a bell, I was supposed to be at work. I, Mm -hmm. I called in, I was like, I can't function. I can't do this. But you know what I could do was sit outside and have a beer because that's what I knew. Just let it wash it away. Just let it go away. And you still, wake up the next day with a hell of a hangover, a hell of a broken heart. Right. Then what, you know, like, what are you supposed to do? Do you do it all over again? And that's what I did. 
So for a while, it took me some time, and I finally had some friends and family that even with my parents' divorce that I had kind of like cut out, but I only cut them out because I thought they were hurting me. They were killing that vibe. Right, so, absolutely. You know, one of those people, like I said, I kind of had a hard time with my mom as I, I, I called her. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And she kind of gave me, she's like, you got, you, you got to move forward. It was the whole type of relationship. The reason that she was so hard on me during those times of right. their divorce was to try to set an example of like, this is hard, but you face it and you do it and you mm -hmm. get through it. But I was out of sight, out of mind. And now I had to face this, get through this and mm -hmm. move forward. So her words were something that kind of stuck with me. And this was probably, you know, a big wake up call. So I, I you know, I, I took the breakup and kind of went forward and mm -hmm. realized that the relationship was wrong. It wasn't meant to be. I was trying yet again to heal something that wasn't, someone else wasn't going to give me. I had to give it to myself. Right. So I was going to focus on me for a while. This is the first time I get to live by myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, not with my parents, like pay the rent, do the thing. And mm -hmm. it was great. Um, and what was the best part was, of that for you? What was the best part of being by yourself? And knowing, okay, I have to do these things because I have to pay the bills and things like that. But what was the best part about that being by yourself for that first time? The independence, like being able to really be with me and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, I don't know. It was, I, I started to walk more. I started to think more. I would actually talk to friends and family a lot more mm -hmm. um, because before the relationship was, what I had. And now right. I was breaking out of that bubble and talking to these people again. My sister even wanted to come down and live with me. Not that, I mean, she's my best friend in the world. She would have lived with me if she, you know, sure. had to do it all over again. But that was like the best time. But like her actually coming to live with me and me having this sense of independence and being able to talk to people and showing mm -hmm. this, even myself, a little bit of what I was dealing with just to someone that I loved and thinking that I wasn't going to hurt them by showing this kind of fear and weakness. Right. She, she was the one that was like, you have anxiety. You have like serious anxiety that you're not dealing with. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she, you're giving me anxiety by telling me this. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. And yeah, like, and they're freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I needed, I needed that moment, that time by myself to actually feel comfortable enough to expose these types of things to people I loved. And so that reality check from her was huge. And, mm -hmm. and so then it was like that little bit more focusing more on myself. You know, I got a dog cause I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to have a relationship that's going to stick with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's still here and I love him to death. Um, but yeah. And it was just, I figured if I, if I could have this time to really start to accept my anxiety and kind of see that it was talking with her about it, that I wasn't handling it right, that I was aware that I was using alcohol wrong. So you talked about when your sister moved in with you, she was one of the first people who really saw what was happening, stuff that you had been hiding for a little bit. And let's talk about what it's like to actually be fully seen by somebody. I think in all of our lives, no matter who we are close to, with your spouse, your family, friends, 
we always have that still that little wall, right? Mm-hmm. That we hide behind because it's, it's very vulnerable and scary to be fully seen for everything that you are, all the good, all the bad, and all the crazy in between. What was it like to be seen by somebody for the first time in a while, good, bad, or ugly? Well, this time, you know, she was, she was my age in the sense that like we could party together. So I didn't mm-hmm. think that like she was seeing anything bad, but believe it or not, she's uh, in psychology and, and, um, right. And that field. Mm-hmm. And so she was, she was real quick to figure out what was going on, <laughs> <laughs> needless to say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, but I don't think it could have come from a better person. Mm-hmm. She's my best friend. So I'm, I'm thankful for that year. And I, I know, and I still look back on it and I, and I, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm getting emotional. I feel bad because like of, mm-hmm the anxieties I had and like sometimes the way I would drink and I, 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 I feel, I feel like I hurt her, but I mean, she would, if she were standing right here, she'd be like, shut up. (laughs) 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 Um, She would probably smack me for it, but (laughs) you know, I don't know. It was just, that was a reality check I needed to realize that like my relationship with alcohol turning directly to it was, scary. So again, you know, she went back to the big city and I stayed in Virginia and I got to live by myself again in a whole, a whole new light. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So, um, drinking didn't happen if I was sad, you know, and then I, I got to a whole new sense of my anxiety. I had a better grasp on it. Right. Um, I was aware that what these feelings were, what was coming, that tight chest or the mind spiraling and, and being more aware of it and knowing that you can talk yourself through it is a gift in itself when you get to that point. Well, let's, let's talk about that right now for people listening, okay? Because that's mm-hmm, what this yeah. podcast is all about, is helping people through things that you've gone through. So during that time after your sister left, and now you're not coping with alcohol all the time, you're starting to recognize things in your body, how you're feeling, and you mentioned the tight chest. What yeah. were you doing, like, specifically to get you through some of those times? I would go, I would start on my walks again. My walks were always, like, a big thing. When I, when I lived with her, she was kind of like my walks, because I, uh, I was in a little more difficult place in the town where I couldn't walk with my dog, but I got back to old town where I could walk everywhere. I would walk two, mm-hmm. three miles a day. I would do yoga. I went to the gym. Um, I tried to find outlets that right. weren't unhealthy habits. Mm-hmm. So I was already putting that gear in motion, but, um, again, and talking about it, like now that she was able to see it, mm-hmm. she knew we, I could tell her like, Hey, I'm having a bad day. I just need you to talk me off a ledge really quick. Mm-hmm. And I, and then I had another amazing best friend who would always take my calls. And I mean, to the point, I mean, she was a mom of three. She would answer that phone call. I'm like, where are you? She's like, I'm in the shower. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> but you know, you have to be able to be open and talk to people about it. And I think having that experience with my sister and, and being vulnerable was one of my biggest strengths that I gained. Right. So, um, you know, I just kind of started working on myself. I, 
even if a bad day was there though, sometimes I would still turn to that crutch, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the, the lean wasn't as hard anymore. Leaning on alcohol wasn't as hard because I knew it was a dark path I was on. Right. You know what I mean? I didn't know. You've been down that path before, right? Yeah. Okay. And I, there's no end to that tunnel. There's no light in it. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of, it's very scary to go through it to, to be able to look back and see the light is kind of crazy, but um, I was happy to, to just know that it was there, but I didn't have to use it. But anyway, so I, Virginia, I, you know, the key phrase in Virginia is Virginia's for lovers. (laughs) And I, I began to love myself in a whole new light. And, and then I, I met Andrew, my now husband and yeah, I get emotional again. (laughs) That's okay. And, um, I never, I never had, uh, the kind of love that he shows me. I mean, he is a military man, so he is kind mm-hmm. of a hard ass, but he <laughs> loves me with his all. And um, it, he was probably the first person that I would show these anxieties to that wasn't my family, that right. didn't know me for years. And he loved me for all of it. Right. still and still loves me for all of it for everything <laughs> else that he even just then when he met me and um and I was I was oh my gosh I can't even when he just makes me smile I know you guys can't all of you listening well, I can tell you guys <laughs> she is smiling ear to ear talking about her husband <laughs> she is super excited so that's a good thing yeah so, so I was just so happy to finally be with someone that loved me just as much back as I loved him and love him to this day. Um, Mm -hmm. So like I said, that crutch was always there. Right. But I mean, Andrew and I had a great time. I mean, we we moved in together. We got a house, we Mm -hmm. had dogs. And then it was like, like history repeats itself. That bad thing happens again. And in 2015, um, my mom got sick Mm -hmm. and this was something I had no idea how to deal with. And um, I was aware of my anxieties. I was aware that turning to alcohol wasn't the key. Right. Um, but I would tell myself it wasn't the immediate key. So once I was able to talk myself off that anxiety ledge, mm-hmm. okay, now you can relax and have a cocktail. Because this was months of mom unfortunately being sick and mm-hmm. um so like i said that crutch was there but i i talk a lot about outlets and finding healthy habits to kind I, of work through your anxieties your stresses instead of turning to bad ones but unfortunately in this turn of events i found a habit of um self-harm and i I uh, didn't know what I was doing, but I, and I, I know it sounds crazy to some people and they may not think that this was harmful, but I was like, I was picking my toenails off because mm. I said it before. I only let people see what I, I wanted them to see. Sure. And this is something I could hide again. Absolutely. You know, like people didn't have to see, I mean, it was, it was tough. I mean, and Andrew saw this and I know it sounds crazy, but this is someone that I knew that like, if he could be like, why are you doing this? And not 
judge me for it or anything like that, that this was someone that was there supporting me and be vulnerable too. And even when he knew that I was hiding it, it was, he, he knew, but, and again, so I found two crutches that were not healthy and I was just silently suffering and not, I went back to just not talking right. to people about it. So let me ask you a question about the self-harm because I know that mm-hmm. that happens to a lot of people in different ways. You know, there is cutting mm-hmm. and things of those nature. Why was the alcohol not enough anymore? Because alcohol has always been your outlet, right? That's the thing you would run to when things got bad. That was always being your coping mechanism. Why was that not enough anymore that you had now self-harm? It scared me. Um, I think I had seen enough people turn to alcohol in my life mm-hmm. that it to, to see what it could do was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I was still turning to it, like I said, but I mean, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but anyone that stubs their toe, it hurts like hell, but I could not feel any of it. Wow. It was, I mean, Andrew would look at my, he said, how do you not, how does that not hurt? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. And it's because I was, I was suffering and I was literally not talking about it and taking it out on myself. Instead of taking it out of a bottle of wine, I was taking it out on myself. And then, um, you know, mom passed December, 2015, and mm-hmm. that's when alcohol started to set in again and hiding it started to set in again. And then, um, time passed. And again, it was just like, when I said that I was hiding it again, I just, it was still just letting people see what I wanted them to see. They had no idea how much I was drinking behind closed doors. Like well, everyone. Let's, let's talk about that. What? What did that look like? Because now you said you're spiled all over again. What did it look like? So people, I mean, this is a real thing that people are dealing with mm-hmm. right now, right? You know, you and I talked a little bit off air a moment ago that right now, we're, you know, the podcast is happening in the COVID-19 pandemic right now. And everybody who was in the quarantine and no one was leaving their house and ever had high anxiety all the time. People you see, people joking about it, people were drinking all the time, early in the yeah. morning, all night, like, hey, I need it, I need it, I need it. An extended uh, vacation, so to speak, in some people's eyes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, and I don't blame anybody for whatever they have to deal with or go no. through, but people no. are going through this right now. And so what did that look like for you? So people can identify with that, that maybe they need some help as well. So when I was hiding it, I mean, <laughs> you the day Saturday would hit because, you know, I, I would drink during the week, but Mm -hmm. during, okay. So during the week when I was going to work, I knew if I started drinking at five 36 and I stopped drinking at nine 30, 10, I could wake up for work on time. Mm -hmm. Who does that? Right. Who plans that? I have this window of drinking available and and I'm not saying who, because people do that, but like to, 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 to plan your evening out like that was like kind of, I don't know, bizarre to me to think that that's how it was. And same thing with Saturdays. I was like, oh, it's 11. We're about to have lunch soon. Let's cook some lunch and have a cocktail. But right. you don't think anything different of it. But 
I don't know. And, and it, and I couldn't just have one glass, like one glass to me just seemed like, well, what's the calories? Like, why would I just have one? I should just have the bottle. Like right. that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been a one glass type of girl. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and um, so that's what that, that looked like for me. And, and don't get me wrong, like going through COVID and being home has been such um, an eye-opening experience for me, making me thankful that I am sober and also making me realize how much I needed to be sober. Right. There, there was still times during the days when I'm like, God, today is like a cocktail day. You know, today would be a glass of wine day. Or yeah, reflecting back on that, right? Yeah, and you know what? It was springtime. Springtime in Virginia is beautiful. So we'd be outside and Darby would be in the pool. And I'm like, today would be a nice glass of rosé day. Mm-hmm. But I said just a second ago, I've never been a one glass kind of girl. And and Darby is everything to that. And, and I'll touch base on that in, in a little bit. But um, so it was just... The, the relationship with alcohol after mom passed, like exploded, like to nothing I've ever, um, I'd never dealt with before. Right. I, uh, you know, eventually things kind of calmed down with after mom passed and, you know, we went through the hard things of having to go through her things and anyway, um, and then the light started to shine again and Andrew and I got engaged. So mm-hmm. that was an amazing time. It was just that, that thing I thought I was like, Oh, I needed this. And this is that light I needed again back in my life. Right. I'm so excited. We're going to get married and we're going to have babies. And then the anxiety trickled back over from losing mom. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to get married without my mom. Right. Oh my God. I'm going to have babies without my mom and don't get me wrong I have amazing women in my life that I am beyond thankful for but they're I mean I had a touch and go relationship with my mom there for a while and I Mm -hmm. knew that like getting married and having babies was going to bring my mom back to me like full force and now I was going to go through getting married and having babies without her right you know this is the first big family event and it was one of the most amazing and hardest things I had to do that day and alcohol was still trickling in and feeding those anxieties and making them Mm -hmm. bigger than they were supposed to be. And you know, I questioned my relationship with alcohol for so long, but you know, you have to question your relationship with alcohol when you pray to God, please let this be the last time I drink like this, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And what starting to become scary to me was how much I could consume and still quote unquote function. Mm -hmm. And that's when my realization was, am I a functioning alcoholic? Mm -hmm. And I would, no, 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 no. There's no way. Right. And I think enough times that I prayed to God, he kind of answered me because before we got married, I um, was charged with a DUI. And that was, you know, I thought with drinking in all my years of, you know, kind of putting it as a party thing, a social thing and not getting in trouble with it. Right. I was untouchable with it. But then God was like, hey, you prayed. I, I answered. Right. So I was like, okay. Um, you know, I, we got a lawyer. We did all the things. It was horrible. 
Um, Andrew was actually deployed at the time, so I was home by myself. So I spent the night in jail. Wow. Um, and that was tough. And I called my best friend here in Virginia. Right. And she, they, they wouldn't let me out until I, I blew under. And I don't even remember what I blew, but I know it was way above. And um, I actually wasn't even driving. My car got stuck on our, our dirt road. Mm-hmm. And I left it there at our private road. And the cops came to my house and arrested me from my house. So, Mm. I mean, if that isn't God saying like, you, you need, you've been questioning this. Is this the answer that you've been looking for? I don't know what is. Right. And, um, I didn't tell anyone. Um, the only people that knew was Andrew and my, but my best friend that I called down here and my work because I missed work because of it. Right. (laughs) Um, and, uh, how, how did that impact your life? Like I said, I thought I was untouchable, and that really threw me. It really threw me. And the the thing was, though, is I I couldn't let go of alcohol even still then because it was such a big part of my life that I didn't know how how to let go. But I knew that that change was coming, and I needed to to figure out what I was going to do with it and quick. Right. So we got a lawyer, and he was he's a wonderful man, and was able to kind of push things every off till after the wedding. Um, cause once you go into the ASAP classes and everything like that, you can't drink, you get tested. So mm-hmm. nice of him to let me be able to drink at my wedding, but he pushed it off long enough for me to get pregnant. And oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I said, everything, everything shining light happens and right. hard things come, but God, God was placing these shining lights and difficult times in my life for a reason. He was, he, he was Absolutely. opening that chance for me to change and as many times as he did, he made each one harder, but each reward was greater. Right. So now I was pregnant with Darby and I am about to go meet with my case manager. And I had this, this belly and, you know, you take these cla- uh, a questionnaire and she reviews it and the therapist finally meets with you and they say, I'm going to tell you, tell you this, you're, you're a new mama to be, mm-hmm. you are you know, you tested that you could just probably go and take the classes and be done and, you know, three weeks, but I'm going to give you the option mm-hmm. to take, to take the ASAP courses, do the meetings and, 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 you know, do the whole thing. What would you like to do? Would you like to just be done in three weeks or do you want to do the whole nine week program? And she's like, you can think about it. And mm-hmm. she's like, if you want to come back to me, I was like, no. I don't, I don't need to think about it. I'll do the full thing. And she's like, okay. So she told me what was required of me. I had to go to AA meetings. I had to have the, you know, the AA meetings sign it. I couldn't miss a single ASAP course. I had to have all the testing done every week, which I'll never forget the first time they asked me to, to, to pee for the drug and alcohol test. And I was like, well, I'm pregnant. She goes, doesn't matter. And I was like, what? Like to think that people that it's that difficult for people to say no with child was mm-hmm. mind blowing to me. But that's why I was doing this because I had had so many opportunities in my life to make a change that if I wanted it to be as impactful as that DUI was, as terrifying as that was, mm-hmm. I needed to commit to this. 
so I did. And we went to all classes. Everyone was lovely. And the meetings was something that really hit home to me. I chose to go to an all-women meeting. And um, mm -hmm. just to hear other like-minded women in there was profound. And or even similar women in situations with me that they lost their mom and it was so hard and it was just such a gift to hear these stories and to be humbled by their stories right it was just amazing and i needed it and then 2018 the biggest gift i was ever blessed to have darby was born and i knew i needed to change things mm -hmm. um you know i was I still hadn't stopped drinking after I had her though. So it wasn't anything like before. Nothing. Right. But Nothing. it was still there. It was still there. Mm -hmm. And, but every, this time it was different because every time I drank, I was terrified. Like, what if something happened to her? We're 20 minutes away from any hospital. Right. But I couldn't, and it wasn't like the, the postpartum scary fears that you hear that most moms you know, we all have them. We all talk about them, but it was like, I can't do this anymore. It's, this is, this is the new chapter in my life. And I think I need to leave the old ones behind me, mm -hmm. but it was scary to think of like, how am I supposed to let go of this like social part of my life that's been there since I was like 15. Right. But the day after my 35th birthday, that was it. I was done. I think I only had two glasses of wine on my birthday, and, but I didn't, I just didn't want that anymore. This, right. this life, she was worth so much more. I, I deserved to work on me and be the best mom that I could to her. And, you know, I'd always had these other outlets, but to put her first was my, my priority, but I had to put me first too. Right. I oh, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't give to her if I couldn't give to myself. So I cut that part out of my life because that was the only thing getting in the way of me. Right. And that was just huge. And it, I couldn't get over how easy it was to just let it, to just say no, to be done. But, you know, in this September will be my 37th birthday. I'll be, I'll be two years sober. That's and, amazing. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, I, I always get a chip from my, my dear friend. He's actually my boss. Well, mm -hmm. was my boss. I no longer, you know, after COVID, but I'm right. um, no longer work there, but I still tell him like, so he's like, September's your birthday. I was like, I know he's like both your new birthday. And I'm like, yeah. Well, let me but talk about, we talked about funny. earlier in the podcast, how she was smiling ear to ear talking about her husband. She's equally <laughs> smiling just as much about being sober and that's such an amazing oh. thing. Really proud of you, Megan. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. Thanks. It, it, yeah, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And, you know, and it's great too, because, you know, my, my husband no longer drinks. So it's just kind of like a lifestyle that like now it, it's hard to think of like all the things that we were missing out on, mm -hmm. you know, like, and like some people say like their first year of marriage is the hardest. And I'm not going to say it was hard, but we learned a whole new part of one another that I couldn't love him more for. Mm -hmm. And 
not that everyone, you know, not everyone has to do that with their spouse or whatever the case is, but I'm so thankful that he chose that path as well. And it was just, it's been amazing. It really, really has. And like, that's awesome. I guess, yeah. So that's, that's, that's it. I mean, that's my story in a nutshell. I, I learned to find out that my coping mechanisms and everything mm -hmm. like that was just leading me down a dark path. I wasn't, Oh, yeah. Well, I think there's so many takeaways. And the question I always ask everybody at the end of every podcast is, if you're speaking to those people right now who's gone through something that you went through, what bit of advice or motivation would you give them to keep going and to let them know that there is a future on the other side of their pain? You need to be accepting of yourself. You need to give yourself grace and know that you are not alone. Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, you have to, whatever avenues you choose, please reach out to them, whether or not it's a stranger, a friend, a loved one, a family member, you'll be surprised how many people will come forward and, and admit some of their deep, dark fears as well. Mm -hmm. So talk about it. Do not turn it into something internal and silent just to deal with by yourself because you are not alone. Right. Um, there are so many things out there now, especially now like with, with COVID, I have found that it has really helped me um, figure out how to deal with these things. There are online meetings, there's mm -hmm. podcasts, there's um, groups to follow. And that doesn't have to mean just for alcoholism. There's a lot of things. There's support groups for moms. I mean, mm -hmm so many things just take the avenue and check it out there's no harm in that especially if you are just checking it out no one in there knows you most of these things are private right. so so just give yourself grace and take take the time for you take the time for you i think that's so important i know that you like to speak to women specifically and moms and wives in that realm and I think it's important for you to tell them, you know, show yourself some grace, take some time for you because yeah. moms and wives are the people who give all of themselves away and usually run on empty. And you talked mm -hmm. about it early on that you can't help others. You couldn't help Darby until you could help yourself. Right. You know? but, I mean, everyone uses this quoted. It's one of my favorites, but you can't give them an empty cup. Right. But it's true. It's so true. So, so true. And so I think that's very important for you to share that, and I'm glad you did. And you're right. You're not alone out there. You're definitely not alone. Um, there are so many people dealing with so many different things, but mm -hmm. I appreciate you coming on today and sharing your thing, right? Because we all have that thing behind our thing that we're scared to share and yeah. be vulnerable about. But people, they get help. They get strength in knowing that they're not alone. And by you oh coming God. on here today and sharing your story, even though it's very embarrassing at some points and it's very scary for different people to know your business um by you doing this i guarantee it's going to help somebody's life so yeah thank you so much for coming on and doing that today absolutely i'm so happy and just thankful to be here thankful yeah. to be heard yeah absolutely so if anybody wants to get in touch with you after this and touch base with you how can they do that um, you can either reach me on Facebook, I'm Megan Linke, or um, I'm also on Instagram, I'm actually Meg Doyle Linke. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty easy to be found. Okay, Those I'll make sure we put those, <laughs> we'll put those uh, links to your social media and stuff on our show notes when this podcast goes out. 
And that awesome. way people can touch base if they didn't have to spell your name or anything like that. But again, thank you so much for coming on here and being honest, being real, and sharing your strength and that let people know that they can come through this on the other side. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm so thankful for Megan to come on the show today and to be vulnerable and really share her story with all of us. What I think about Megan's story and that it's so relatable right now and forever is about that struggle with an addiction to get you through the tough times, to get you through the numb times. And so we're recording this podcast and it's coming out during the time of COVID, during the time of post-quarantine, during the time of uncertainty, during the time of fear during the time of people have no idea when this pain is going to end. And so during this time, especially, people have been dealing with all the uncertainty and fear in different ways. And so one of the big ones I've seen and the struggle that Megan had was with alcoholism. That, you know, it starts as a joke to, oh, my gosh, we're never going to get through this. Let's start drinking wine at 10 a.m. And then let's start drinking wine at noon. And I'm not faulting anybody who drinks wine. If you want to drink wine at noon, that's your game. No judgment from me at all. But relating this back to Megan's story is that she also dealt with her pain. And she didn't even realize she was dealing with the pain by covering it up with alcohol. It just seemed like alcohol makes me feel good. Um, it makes me feel like I'm having a great time. It takes away all those fears and anxieties that I'm dealing with. So how bad could it really be? But as she shares in her story, her real powerful and vulnerable story, by the way, is that eventually those coping mechanisms, they catch up with you, especially if they're unhealthy coping mechanisms. Because what they do is they start to affect your normal life, where she was talking about having a drink and not being able to get into work the next day, but definitely being able to get up and have a beer the next day. And it also led to another path in her life where she ended up getting a DUI, which led to her spending time in jail, which led to her after getting a lawyer and going through that pain in her life. And I think something you can identify and take away from Megan's story and anybody's story right now is to identify those things that are going on in your life right now. Maybe gauge your life between a 1 and a 10 scale, and 10 being living your best life free of any kind of addiction, free of any kind of substance abuse, free of anything that's a bad coping mechanism, and 1 being in the bottom of the barrel, right? You have all the problems, and, you're, and you really don't have a way to get out of it. Maybe gauge where you're at right now and figure out not only where you're at, but how did I get here? And not only figuring where you're at, but how do I get on to another place from here? And listen, we all have our things, right? There's always the thing behind the thing. And I mentioned that in the podcast. Uh, I mentioned that in my story two years ago, I recorded my podcast. Go back. It's the first episode if you want. But uh, I dealt with severe, severe depression and, and anxiety and bipolar. And I, my coping mechanism was to eat. I gained a massive amount of weight. But I remember hearing on a story on a TV show one time saying, you know, you might be heavy set, overweight, but when you lose the weight, you're going to have to deal with that thing because it's not always just about the weight. There's that thing. And I was 
petrified, scared to death to find out, oh my gosh, what is my thing? And my thing was depression. Um, but we don't always know our thing right now. So if you can gauge where you're at and figure out, is there a bigger issue going on behind what I'm dealing with right now? The fear that I have right now, the anxiety I have right now, and how am I dealing with it? Am I doing it in a healthy way? Am I not dealing with it at all? Once you identify where you're at, just being okay with that. Because you may not be where you want to be today. Where you are today may, may not be a great place. But one of my favorite quotes is that today is not my finish line. Right? So let me say that again. You may not be happy where you're at today. What's what's happening with you today. But today is not your finish line. So don't give up. Don't beat yourself up. Know that you can take different steps and new steps to get to where you need to be. So speaking about alcoholism, um, alcohol addiction, there is a National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. It stands for NCADD. And what they have is a national 1-800 number that where you can call and will help you get local resources where you're at. It's completely anonymous. There's no one there judging you. It's just an additional tool. So if you feel like in your case that maybe you have a problem with alcohol, there is a way to call somebody anonymous and get some help. And that number is 1-800-622-2255. So again, that is the NCADD. It's the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, and it's there for you as a resource if you need it right now and you don't know where to turn in your life at this moment. What I love what Megan said at the end when I asked her, you know, what bit of advice do you have for someone going through this right now is that you're not alone. You're not alone in your fears. You're not alone in your anxieties. And you're not alone in your problems. Because I guarantee if you were to talk to somebody and have a real talk with somebody, you find out they're going through a lot of the same things you're going through or maybe something completely different, but you are not alone in your struggle. The struggle is who makes you who you are and what gets you to the place that you want to be. So lean on the people around you, trust in the people around you to love on you and give you that grace that you would so easily give them. And lastly, I love that Megan talked about her journey with God during this whole time about the big things that happened. And she kept saying, could there be any more of a wake-up call from God? Can there be any more of a wake-up call from God? All throughout her story. And all of us have the struggles, and all of us have those wake-up calls from God. But do we listen to them? That's the biggest question on the back end of everything, is that God will present you with that problem. He'll be like, I'm right here. Focus on me. Here's the pain. Focus on me. Here's your pain. Focus on me. And a lot of times we try to go back and do our own coping mechanism and not focus on the signs that God has in front of us each and every day. So if you're struggling right now and you're dealing with one pain and another pain and another pain, maybe that's not just pain for the sake of pain, right? God doesn't just put us on the earth to suffer just to suffer. But through our suffering, we will rely on him and come through this whole and full of grace and saved through him. So if you're struggling today, look for those signs from God. Look to God for your strength. Look to him for those answers and look to him for that grace in your path. 
I am so thankful to have you guys all here for another episode. Um, I love bringing these episodes to you, and I want to bring them to you more often. But my biggest struggle is getting people to come on the podcast because it's not easy to put your business out there in front of everybody. But I know it's worth it. I know it's worth it from sharing my story and from the previous seasons of all the people who came on and shared their story. That creates a ripple effect of hope. And that's what this podcast is all about, starting a revolution of hope in people's lives. And if there's ever a time that we need hope, it is right now in the time of uncertainty. So if you have a story to share, if you've been through a pain, which I know we all have been, don't think your story doesn't matter. It does. It matters so much to so many other people out there who need that because so many people are waiting to take a step in their journey and they're waiting for someone else around them, maybe you, to take that first step to encourage them that their story matters as well. So if you want to be on the podcast and share your story, you can first start at unwrittenlifepodcast.com. Right there, we have a contact form where you can fill out your story and some information, and it will get emailed to me, and I can reach out to you there. You can also hit me up on Facebook at unwrittenlifepodcast.com. We have a group there where you can share your story in the group. You can message me there, and we could get you onto the podcast as well. Don't let fear control you from your freedom, okay? Because I have talked to so many of the people who have been on this podcast. We're just like you, and we're scared to share their story but they did that, and they went on to inspire not just one, but hundreds of other people to feel normal and feel like they have some hope now. So again, if you're looking to share your story, I am here to help share it with you. Well, we've come to the end of yet another episode, but this is not the end of your story or journey at all. Remember, you matter, you can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten.